As we prepare to hear our scripture reading this morning, um, today we hear a powerful story from the Gospel of John about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of John here at church, and one thing that's important to remember about this Gospel is that it's the last of the four Gospels to be written. Uh, it was written near the end of the first century, so some 70 years after Jesus' death. And John is writing to a Christian community that is going through a very painful separation uh, from the larger Jewish community around it, and of which its members are a part. And so in this passage, you're going to hear several references uh, to the Jews. And it's not uh, an anti-Semitic term that John is using, but rather it's his way that he designates uh, those people who are not part of the more insular Christian community that he is part of. Uh, and in some cases also connotes those who are actively against uh, his Christian community. As we'll see, this is a very poignant uh, story about death and new life. So let us listen for the word of God. Happy Earth Day. I'll be reading from the Gospel of John. John 11, 1 through 45. So sit back and relax because it is a long one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The, di the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were, not, were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the, night, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For you sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah and the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the, Jesus, so the Jews said, see how, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the, the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, God, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I... <clears throat> but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said, when he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth 
and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. I'm Reverend Solve Nelson Gooden, and I'm honored to be your guest preacher today, even though A, it's not morning when I'm actually preaching right now, and B, I'm preaching to a computer screen in my backyard yurt, which was not exactly what your team and I had in mind when they invited me to preach a few months ago. Nonetheless, here we are. We're all figuring out how to do this as we go. And the yurt is actually a pretty nice place to honor Earth Day. And I am honored to be able to share a message with you today for this Earth Day Sunday. I would like to begin today with a poem by Mary Oliver, who is beloved by so many of us, and who even beyond the grave helps open our eyes to see the transcendent shining through the mundane, the sacredness of the whole creation. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is, I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Isn't that last question incredible? Everyone loves that question. It's so brilliant. But the truth is that in these past weeks, that's not the question that I've been pondering from this poem. Instead, it's actually the question right before it that I can't get out of my mind. Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Now, they, that may not be a very Easter season-y question, 
But that question is haunting people over the world right now. Maybe it's been haunting you too. In fact, that question stared me right in the face a few weeks ago when I was talking to a dear elder friend of mine on the phone. Now, Dick, like many elders in my life, is a very special person to me. And when it was time to hang up, I heard myself say in a slightly more maternal tone than I intended. Now, Dick, make sure you wear your mask and your gloves if you go out and wash your hands and do all the things to keep yourself safe, okay? Because I'm not ready for you to die. Because I'm not ready for you to die. Well, I've got news for you, Solvay. Dick, along with your parents and all your elders and mentors and friends and family and everybody is going to die sooner or later and you are likely to outlive many of them. So you might want to pull yourself out of denial and figure out what you need to do to get ready. Death is inevitable. Yes, everything does die at last. And for the heartbroken that remain, it's almost always too soon. But for some of us, coming to terms with the inevitability and the nearness of death might be new and uncharted territory. But the more we can come out of denial about death, the clearer we may in fact become about what we plan to do with our one wild and precious life. Could it be that Mary Oliver in her inimitable way is even suggesting that we can't answer the last question about our plans for our one wild and precious life before we grapple with the question about death first? But it's even more complicated than that, isn't it? Yes, everything does die at last, including every single person and thing that we love. But death does not come to all equally. There are accidents, illnesses, sudden and untimely losses for which there are simply no explanations. And for some of us, particularly those who have borne the brutal brunt of white supremacist, capitalist, colonialist culture? This question, doesn't everything die at last and too soon, is not a new question at all. The prospect of a life cut short isn't a distant fear, it's just life. We are seeing that play out in this pandemic where black and brown people are dying at disproportionately high rates because of countless factors bred by systemic racism. Even this week, the 50th annual commemoration of Earth Day brought with it yet again the stark reminder that the only reason we even have an annual celebration of Earth Day is because the entire global economic system is systematically destroying Earth's life support systems, 
Yes, everything does die at last, but countless species, habitats, languages, peoples, cultures, all dead at the expense of unjust systems that benefit the few over the many. No, these untimely deaths are not inevitable. So this question, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Lays bare every tragedy and heartbreak and loss we never want to face. But though she was not claiming to talk about faith per se in her poem, dear Mary Oliver articulates the paradox of our faith in these last two questions. For it is only when we face the complex and painful truths about death, about the cross, not only that it happens, but how and why and who benefits from when it happens. Only when we face those truths about death, about the cross, can we hope to find the clarity about what we are to do with our one wild and precious life and find the courage to live that with conviction. Only in the light of these truths about death is resurrection actually possible? There would have been no resurrection for Lazarus from the gospel reading for today. No transformation, no new life, no future. If Mary and Martha had not wept and wailed and given voice to their anger and betrayal and confronted Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They looked straight into the face of death and knew what they needed to do, and they did it. And because of that, resurrection began. In this moment, there is tremendous and unjust suffering. But when we're willing to walk straight into it, a new resurrected way will reveal itself to us. In the words of Indian activist Arundhata Roy, she says, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And that's just what's happening right now. You've heard about this, right? The industrial growth machine is stalled and the natural other than human world is ecstatic, is breathing again, is rejoicing, is singing. In this great global quieting, a new yet ancient, more just and peaceful world is revealing itself as possible. Jesus saw this. Jesus heard her breathing. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. My own journey of facing 
the earth and human suffering, of processing the painful feelings that have emerged because of that, and channeling those feelings into meaningful collective action to create the new world. This journey has been possible in no small part because of my participation in ecofaith recovery. In fact, it's because of my connection with ecofaith that I'm even here with you today. Ecofaith recovery started a decade ago with a group of people coming together to try to make sense of what we were feeling, what we were seeing, what we were learning about the escalating climate crisis. And though we learned together and taught one another, this was not about just trying to understand what was happening intellectually. We knew this was a matter of life and death. And we were facing a problem that couldn't be fixed if we just found the right solution, if we just stopped the right pipeline, if we even just prayed in the right way. It was deeper than that. Like those of us in recovery from addictive family systems, we knew at some level that we needed to go into recovery. But what did that mean? if we weren't just talking about recovery from individual or family addiction? Well, over the past decade, the volunteer leaders of Ecofaith Recovery just kept coming together over and over again, asking the question, what are we doing? What are the practices that we're engaging in that are helping us stay sane and grounded and active when the deadly status quo is so very seductive? What are the practices that help us stay in relationship even when working hard together is hard and especially when isolation is such a culturally sanctioned option? What are the practices that keep us engaged in the necessary work of cultural, spiritual, and economic transformation over the long haul. When burnout so often leads to checkout, which leads to opting out of our God-given power to live and love and thrive in a way that makes for others to be able to live and love and thrive as well. What emerged over the years were the Ecofaith Recovery Practices for Awakening Leadership. Now, none of these are new. All of them have roots in our faith traditions, in the practices of community organizing, in the recovery movement, in environmental and eco-justice movements. But the combination of the practices are helping shape not only what we do, but how we do what we do. The practices are transforming both our world and our worldview. And so I'd like to share these practices with you briefly today. I'm going to share my screen. Practices for Awakening Leadership. Together we access spiritual power by consciously connecting with the indwelling God 
to rediscover our belovedness, our God-given power, and our place within God's evolving universe. Together, we develop relationships by consciously awakening the power among that arises when we engage in authentic conversation and relationship. Together, we discover our stories by consciously recognizing the power of God's presence at work within our lived experience and the lives of others and the stories of the places that we live. Together, we mentor one another by consciously drawing out the gifts, the wisdom, and the life-giving power of others and sharing our own by mentoring and being mentored. And we act together by consciously engaging the power of collective action in the service of God's healing and justice-seeking work for the human communities and the whole creation. And together we reflect on our actions, consciously reflecting on and evaluating our actions and the ways we use power in order to learn and grow into mature and courageous leaders. And finally, together we restore balance by consciously realigning our lives with the sacred and natural rhythms of life expressed through the whole of God's creation. You're welcome to go to ecofaithrecovery.org to learn more about these practices and how our leaders are acting together in our own contexts. We utilize these practices every time we meet, even virtually. And we're currently developing a meeting format that anyone can use based on these practices so that these practices can become part of our lives, not only in our work together, but in every aspect of our lives, the personal, the interpersonal, the community, and the public dimensions of our lives. Now, do we do these practices perfectly? No, we do them imperfectly and with heavy doses of humility, yes. But is there any other way? When death looms near and comes too soon and there is no quick fix, what else should we be doing? to borrow yet another one of Mary Oliver's probing questions. What else should we be doing? What else should we be doing but accessing the power of the God of love to hold us and guide us in our every word and deed? What else should we be doing but coming together in relationship and listening to one another's stories and the stories of the most marginalized among us, the stories of the land, the creatures, and the elements, and allowing those stories to shape us as we co-create a new story. What else should we be doing but mentoring one another and calling forth the unique and necessary gifts each and every one of us has to offer? If you are alive right now, then you have something to offer for our collective healing. What else should we be doing but harnessing our collective power to act for justice 
and learning together from our successes and our failures so that we can pass on our wisdom, so that we can strengthen our witness and continue growing and maturing as humans, as leaders. What else should we be doing but restoring balance and harmony within and without, with justice and equity, so that we and all human communities and earth creatures may thrive? What else should we be doing but making way for the new world that is emerging, making way for the kingdom of God? Tell me, what else should we be doing as resurrection people on this Earth Day Sunday in this time of pandemic? with our one wild and precious life. Amen. <laughs>